Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Steve McNeil and uh, my wife, Janine. We have been married for 42 years and uh, have the pleasure of serving you as the executive director for the State Convention of Baptist in Indiana. Um, that makes us teammates, us and the, about 450 other churches around the state of Indiana, that you're part of that great network of churches trying to reach Indiana for Christ. And we're really grateful for Graceland Baptist Church and the ministry that you have had here for many, many, many years. I was talking to a lady out in the lobby this morning that she's been here for like 48 years and knows a lot of the history here. And I've been familiar with much of that, but uh, great history of gospel ministry here at Graceland. And I'm excited about the future that you have as well and what God is uh, doing in, in these days in this transition and excited about the you're maybe close to calling a new pastor. That's exciting. I encourage you to pray for the elders and, and the search team and the candidate, whoever that is. Uh, trust that this will be a man of God that you will be able to follow and, and to get behind for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom work here in New Albany. Amen? Well, that was almost good. <laughs> but we are praying for you as well. And uh, I bring you greetings from those 450 other churches. Janine and I are in a different church almost every week. Next weekend, we'll be in Evansville at a, at a church. And uh, I forget where we were last week, but we were in different places every week and have the pleasure of meeting with people just like you who are serving in the local church and trying to take the gospel to that local community. And it's a, it's a great opportunity that we have to, to help Jesus build his kingdom here. You ever find yourself when you're reading the Bible or in your Christian life where you, you just feel a little stumped trying to figure out what it all means and how it all fits together, especially just for you? You know that we, we, we pray and we study and try to discover that mystical or mysterious will of God, right? You don't have that problem? Man, I've been struggling with that for, since I was 17 when I accepted Christ. That seems mystical sometimes, but other times it's as clear as a stoplight. Red, yellow, and green. And you can read it very clearly. This morning I want us to look at a, we're going to look at a passage that I think is one of those times when it's pretty clear. As we did a moment ago, your worship leader asked you to kind of imagine in your mind's eye, a part of that song. And I want you to do a similar thing here for just a couple of minutes. Use the artistic side of your brain for just a moment. Imagine in your mind's eye, and if that means you need to close your eyes and try to picture this, then okay. But others of you may just want to focus on a place on the stage that will help you think about this. We know biblically and theologically that where two or more are gathered in, the, in our midst, that he is in the midst of us, right? That Jesus is here. Believe that, right? Amen. Amen. But what if? What if all of a sudden, physically, he was standing right here? That'd be pretty cool, would it not? Can you imagine that with me for a moment? That he's standing right here. And he wants to pray for you. Jesus wants to pray for you. 
Imagine that for just a moment. And he's, here, here's his prayer. Imagine him standing here praying for you, and he prays this. Father, I pray for those who will believe in me through the message of my disciples. I pray that they will all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May those who believe also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that those who believe may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want these that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may be in them. Then that awkward spot, would he say, I pray this in my name? You know, pray in Jesus' name, but he's praying it, so I'm not sure how that works. But that would be pretty cool if he was right here and he prayed that for you, wouldn't it? Do you know what's even cooler is he actually did. If you turn with me in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, with a little bit of creative license, that prayer we see in these verses. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. And I think it, there's some clues in this text that tell us what Jesus really wants for you. One of those red, yellow, green stoplights that you can, you can derive from these verses, some things that you can leave here today and say, Jesus wants these things for me. It says it right here in his word. I ask if you would to just pray with me for a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for Lord, the calling that you have on my life, sometimes, Lord, you know, I struggle with that, why you would choose to call me to do the things that you have given me the opportunity to do to serve you. I look forward to the day when you and I can sit down and talk about that. You can explain all that to me. Lord, maybe there are here, those here this morning that have similar questions like that for you one day. Father, right now in this moment, I just pray, Lord, for the, for the foolishness of preaching and the foolishness of this preacher. The, Lord, I, I claim to know nothing before these folks, but I pray, Lord, that through my preparation and, and the study, Lord, message that I believe you've given me, Lord, I, I pray that it would speak to the hearts of the folks who are here this morning. Lord, may you speak through your Holy Spirit. May your power through the Holy Spirit just engulf our hearts and our minds and our spirit and speak to us. Lord, we promise to give you the praise and glory for whatever you do in this moment. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
There's several things in this passage that I'd have you see this morning, things that I think Jesus really wants for you. The first thing we see in verse 20 is that he's concerned about you, about the church. He says in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning the disciples, but for those also who believe in me through the word. He's praying for you and me there. He's praying for those who would believe after the disciples have preached the message and people have believed and that message has gone on and on through decades and centuries and it's come to you. He's praying for you and for me. He's concerned about us and about this generation as he's been concerned about every generation throughout history and the gospel going to those generations. Remember that the church is you and me, right? It's, it's not this building. It's you and me. We are the church. And he's praying for us. So we realize that we are the church. We should realize that he loves you and he wants to shepherd you. This passage tells us, I pray for those who will believe. One day, those who would come after the disciples. He says he's building his church. Remember in Matthew 18, 16, 16, 18, I'm sorry, Jesus made that famous statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's been doing that for the last 2,000 years and he continues to do that through people like us. His prayer is for those who will believe because of the disciples' message. He's praying for you and for me to share the gospel with those who are in our lives. And ultimately that that message would spread to the, to the people where we live in the ages to come. He's concerned about you and me and about the message going forward. Secondly, he's concerned about unity in the church. This comment must be really important to Jesus because even in just these brief five or six verses, six verses, he mentions this four times. In the King James Version and the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it literally lists it four times. You find a nuance to it in verse 22 where you could say it only says it once, but it says it in a little different way at the end of the verse. But he makes the statement, his concern is that we would be one. He's praying that we, as the church, would be one. Janine and I have the opportunity of going to a lot of churches, as I mentioned, different Sundays. And sometimes the main thing that a church's reputation for in the community is for fighting. It's because that, that church split and became these two churches, and then that split and became these four churches. It's the worst church planting method in the world. But it happens. I don't believe that's God's design, God's desire for churches to split because these verses tell us he wants us to be one. He wants us to be unified in the body of Christ. Just as, and get this, just as Jesus and God, he says, are one, they're complete, they're in perfect union. It's Jesus' desire that we be one like he and the Father are one. And you wrap your head around that for a minute. The Godhead is one, the three in one, right? God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they are one. And he's saying he wants us to be one with them as they are one. How are we doing? 
I think we can do better, don't you? I think we can do better at this. Philippians chapter two, verses one through four, Paul gives us a little clue here, maybe how this could happen. In the first two verses, he gives the admonition about this sense of unity and being one. But then in verses three and four, he gives us just a couple of clues, some things that can actually be action steps for us that we can put into our lives and demonstrate what unity looks like. He says, first of all, don't be selfish. You ever see selfishness in the church? Do you ever feel a sense of selfishness in your own life? When you do, get rid of it. It's not supposed to be there. He also says something about being conceited. That's not supposed to be there. In fact, in the next part of the verse, he says to be humble and regard others as more important than yourself. Don't be conceited. Don't be selfish. Be humble and put others first. That the church, the body of Christ, might be one as the Father and the Son are one. What a great admonition he gives us here. What Jesus wants for you is for others to believe in God because of your life and because of the way we live in the church. How we love one another should be such a demonstration to the world that there's something different happening here. We, we've been transformed, right? Changed by the power of the gospel. And yet we still see those exhibits of the flesh lived out in our life. It's a challenge, I get it. You're doing the right thing by being here, by coming and learning and growing and fellowshipping with believers and, and trying to get better at these things. But there is, that is what he's challenging us to here. One of the things he wants us to know is he wants us to be one as he and the Father are one. You know, an example that you might see of this is maybe an example of good church, bad church, or the difference between the church and the world is an example of how a hor a horses, when they're in kind of a herd, if there's an, a, an attack of some kind from an, a predator and they begin to attack the horses, the horses instinctively turn and get in kind of a group and face one another and kick back at the attacker. Sounds pretty smart, right? Donkeys turn and face the enemy and kick back and kick each other. I'm glad you see the humor in that. That may sound like some churches you've gone to. But it should be a demonstration of the difference between the church and the world. That when things happen in the church, we face each other and we gain strength and unity from each other and kick back at the attacks, not attacking each other. Jesus wants us to know that he's concerned about you and about the church, that he's concerned about the unity in the church. And third, he's given us his glory. In two different ways we see this expressed in verses 22 and 24. Jesus talks about two kinds of glory here, or two levels of glory, if you want to put it that way. The first is found in verse 22, where it says, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I've given them the glory. Now, you think about Jesus' life. He was the king. He was the savior. He was the Messiah. But he was also born in a stable, a carpenter's son. 
Didn't own any possessions. He washed his disciples' feet. He helped others and served others. And he died on a cross between two thieves. Jesus was a servant. One of the ways that he was glorified is in that servant lifestyle that he lived. A.T. Robertson takes this phrase and breaks it down. He was a Greek scholar from, it's almost 100 years ago, I guess now, Larry, isn't it? Back in the 1920s, he was one of Southern Baptist's great Greek scholars at Southern Seminary. But he takes that phrase and, and he breaks it down to, to say that it's I the glory with the emphasis on I. Jesus is the I. He is the incarnate glory of, of God, right? God in the flesh, God incarnate. And that sense when we serve other people and live that humble lifestyle of serving each other through Christ, we get to share in that glory that Christ has given us. He was the model of lowly service. He had no offices. He was not a worldly powerful person, but yet he promises his glory for those who serve alongside of him. This is the glory that we receive when we do things that are, that are good in the sight of Christ, when we do them for him. And then the op kind of the opposite of that we see in verse 24 where he says, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. And this is the, this is the phrase A.T. Robertson refers to as the, an eternal glory. It's in the next life. So you see what he's doing here? We get to share in his glory in this life by living with him and serving with him and letting him live through us, and we get to share in the glory of his in, in eternity. What a great gift that is. It's a beautiful, a beautiful expression of grace, is it not? Did you do anything personally to achieve that right to have that glory? No, you trusted in Christ and his, his forgiveness of your sins. All of these things are so in, cool the way that they blend together. That eternal glory that is reserved for the Father in heaven one day when we go to be with Jesus, we will see him in his glory and we will share in that. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10 says, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. That glory will one day come. He wants you to know. He wants you to know this, that you share in those glories that are Christ's. Because he is in you, you share in those things. In this prayer, he wants you to know that he's concerned about you, the church. He's concerned about unity in the church, that he has given us this glory. And fourth, he wants you to be with him. He wants you to know that. That he wants you to know that he wants to be with you. Now, you may be thinking, well, of course he's with me. He lives in me. I accepted him as my savior. He lives in me, right? End of story, end of sentence. Move on to the next thing. But there's more to it than that. You see, he demonstrates his love for us, his, his acceptance and the intimacy that he desires with us as his children. He wants to be with you. 
Again, we see that in verse 24. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. He wants to be with you and me. You know, I was thinking about this and an example came to my mind that about 1993, I had the chance to go through Southern Seminary to go to on a, a Middle East study seminar. 21 days in the, in the Middle East. We flew into Damascus, Syria, and spent several days in Syria seeing uh, ancient artifacts and different things of history, and went to Amman, Jordan, and down to the port of Agaba, and over into Egypt, where we got to go up uh, to Mount Sinai, and, and all these places back into Israel, and spent a whole week in Israel seeing so many different things. Trip of a lifetime. And it has changed my perspective now when I read God's Word. I have visual images of the real places. That's been powerful in my life. But in, 19, in, that, in that time frame, 21 days on this trip with 21 strang 20 strangers, I guess I wouldn't count myself as a stranger to myself, right? So, but 20 other people that I didn't know, and we're on airplanes and tour buses on rough roads in Syria and, and all these places sleeping in a different room almost every night, packing your bag and moving from place to place, practically you know, on the edge of exhaustion to some degree, going into Damascus in the airport and the, the Syrian army is looking through your passport and you're wondering, am I gonna be the one they're gonna pull out of line you know, for some reason? Going into D Damascus itself and into one of the, the souks, which is kind of a, a mall, open air mall type place, walking down the street, the 20 of us Americans, and just seeing the native people of Syria and just watching you walk by and wondering what are they thinking. Because on the news before I left, I was watching a news thing, you know, where it's kill America, burn America. And now I'm walking right through where they live. A bit intimidating. I'm telling you all that to say, there, there's a little bit of, there was a lot of excitement, but a little bit of tension in me going, th going through all of this. Well, one night, about 10, 11 days into this, I'm, days gone by, we've seen a bunch of other things, and we've, I've gone to the room, kind of crash on the bed, and I'm looking through my notes and making more notes about what we did that day to try to keep a record of, of what I've seen and experienced. And I mean, just one of those moments, you know, that it, it, was, it seems so real, it, it's hard to explain, but all of a sudden I, I heard this voice. I actually heard it and kind of looked because it seemed so real. It was the voice of my wife. Well, I knew logically, mentally, she's not here. She didn't come over and surprise me, you know? I wasn't going crazy, but it seemed very real. And what I realized, I missed my wife. 10, 11 days and all this stuff going on and I missed my, I missed my helpmate. We had kind of agreed that every four or five days we might call because imagine 1993, I don't know what it was. It was you know, 49.95 a second to make a long distance call you know, back home, something like that. I don't remember what it was. We'd agreed that we couldn't afford to do that very often. And, um, but that night, 
After that experience, I got on my phone and I called her. I had to hear her voice. You've had experiences like that where you miss somebody like that? See, I think that's kind of what Jesus is pointing out here. He wants to be with us. He doesn't just want to know about us. He wants to know. He already knows what's going on in your life. For heaven's sake, just open up and be transparent with him. Talk to him. Tell him the hurts, the fears, the wounds, whatever those things are that are going on in your life. Just be transparent with him. He loves you and he wants that kind of an intimate relationship with us. That's what I think he's saying here when it says that he wants to be with him. Give him that opportunity. The last thing we see in verses 25 and 26 is he wants to live in you and love through you. Jesus is our example. Everything he did demonstrates these things. It demonstrates the existence of God. It, it demonstrates his love for the world, not only on an everyday basis, meeting people's needs and teaching them about the kingdom of God, but then dying on the cross. All of those things demonstrate his love for us. It demonstrates his desire to connect with the, the, this world to eternity. And he wants to do that through you and me. It's God's desire that we demonstrate his love by loving others. It's God's desire that we demonstrate his love by being unified, by being one. It's God's desire that we demonstrate his love by glorifying God as we serve others and we demonstrate how different we are through our humility and the love of Christ and the grace of Christ that exudes from us because he's changed our hearts. He's made us a different person. And I believe it's God's desire that we demonstrate his love by letting him live through us. That means we got to get rid of some of those things Paul talked about in Philippians 2. The conceitedness, the selfishness. Because we tend to even make the Christian life about us, don't we? Somehow it becomes about me. And that's antithetical to the Christian faith. It's about him. How do we live this life in a way that he wants us to live it? That's what lordship is all about. When he is the Lord, he lives through us, and we don't have a chair at that table. It's his table. We're there to serve him and live for him, not because you have to. You choose to, because he loved you and gave his life for you, and he wants to live through you so that the world might know. Let me close with this illustration. Maybe it's an illustration that'll help you see and, and understand this message, these verses, this prayer that Jesus prayed for you. In this prayer, he tells us what he really wants out of you and me, what he really wants for you and me. He's concerned about you in the church. He's concerned about unity. He wants us to be one. He's given us his glory. He wants you to be with him. And he wants to live in you and through you. Closing illustration today for this message, thinking about those things that I just mentioned. Closing illustration is you. Look in a mirror. What do you see? This isn't me pointing my finger at you folks. I hope you don't see this that way. 
It's what his word is telling us this morning. He's prayed this prayer for us. These are things that he wants for us because he loves us, right? And he wants the best for us. Doesn't mean that there aren't times that we may have to go through some suffering, but I believe even in the suffering, he's expressing his love and polishing off those rough edges in our life to make us more into the image of Jesus. You look in that mirror, what do you see? Do you see a person who is concerned about the church, about fellow believers? Do you see a person that's concerned about unity in the body of Christ and you're willing to swallow the selfishness and conceitedness and you're willing to be humble before your Lord and your Savior? You see a person that is enjoying the glory of God and of Jesus because you're serving him and you have pleasure in that, you enjoy that. And one day you look forward to being in his presence, in his glory, his heavenly glory. You'll get to be there and see that and experience that. When you look in that mirror, do you see, maybe do you see Jesus because you want to be with him so much? You just want his presence in your life. Do you long for him? I believe he longed for you and me. And I confess this in my own life. But because I'm not doing it perfectly doesn't mean you can't struggle with it too, right? That's what the church is all about, is to help each other go through these things together. He wants to be with you. When you look in that mirror, do you see your Savior? When you look in that mirror, do you see that he wants to live in you and through you? He wants to make a difference in this world through you and me. I heard someone say one time that Jesus' plan of salvation and the plan of Scripture and how this is all lived out, this is plan A and there is no plan B. This is the way he wants to do it. It's through you and me. And like I said in my opening prayer, boy, Lord, I'm looking forward to having that conversation. Why did you pick me? There's a lot more talented people in so many ways. Why did you pick me to do these, these opportunities that you've given me to serve you? I believe he wants to use you like that if you're available to him. How is he using your life? I'm not talking about position and power. I'm talking about ministering to people, caring for people, sharing the gospel with people, loving the unlovely, loving people who other people shun, being the gospel in this dark, hurting world. That's what I hope and pray you see this morning out of this prayer of Jesus that he prayed for you he wants to see these things in you.